This podcast allows others to tell their spiritual stories and journeys and gives them the safe space to do so. Some things said within may not always align with the views of our podcast. Here at Coven of Rejects, we believe in allowing anyone to tell their story regardless of our own personal beliefs. While we do encourage you to follow our guests on social media to better understand their journey, we do ask that you use your own intuition to discern what energy may or may not align with you. What's up, weirdos, rejects, and free spirits? Welcome back to another episode of Coven of Rejects. I'm your host, Diana Ratliff. As always, sit back, clutch your crystals, and let's get into some crazy spiritual shit. I want to thank 777 Sounds for making that kick-ass introduction song. You can find them on Instagram at 777sounds. If you have not gotten your merch yet, you guys, run on over to the Coven of Rejects website. It's just www.covenofrejects.com. We have so much merch. There is hoodies and tarot card blankets. There is 420-friendly things, witchy-friendly things, podcast-related friendly things. Whatever you are looking for, we have it there. The shirts actually came in this week, and they are really thick and nice. Like, they are not cheap when you wash them. They are going to last and last and last. I love it. And the words on them are actually embroidered in. They are not stickers, so it is not going to fade. There are multiple tie-dye colors you can choose from. The Support Your Local Coven hoodie has witches with their titties out dancing around a fire. And I told you guys last week, but witches and titties and fire they just go together. They belong on a hoodie, and you should be rocking it around town. It says, support your local coven, and, I mean, that's what everybody should be doing, right? You can hop on over there and get that. There's so many amazing things. I know that you guys are going to love it. I tell you guys every episode, and I think I'm going to make it part of the introduction at this point, but audio issues do happen, so you will hear a little um, glitches and skips while you are listening to the audio. But it's amazing nonetheless. <laughs> Don't judge us for the shortcomings of technology that we cannot fix. Thank you. This week's guest is Father Woda, a.k.a. Witch of the Auras. You guys don't know how pumped I am about this. I learned so much from this conversation with Father Woda. It is crazy. He dives into the history of Christmas and Thanksgiving being from pagan holidays and he explains it way better than I can because he was educating me. You guys are going to hear about it, but I wanted it to drop before Christmas because this has me thinking. I have been thinking and researching ever since we had this conversation, which was actually right before Thanksgiving. And I don't know. I just felt like I learned so much. And you know what? He said something before we started recording. He said, if I talk too much, you know, just let me know and slow me down. And I was like, excuse me, absolutely the fuck not. That is his personality. That is the way that he communicates. And I am never going to ask somebody to lower their tone or slow it down or communicate in a different way. We are letting everybody come to this podcast and speak with their authentic selves, their authentic truths, and we are loving them for exactly who they are. I told you guys, and I will say it again, my podcast is not scripted. It is not filtered. I do not 
tell my guests what they can talk about and at what speed they can talk it. They are welcome to share anything that spirit leads them to discuss. And I go into every single recording with every single guest having done a ceremony beforehand where we are opening up, we are communicating the messages that spirit says need to be told and that we are speaking words that are going to hit the hearts of our listeners the right way and be exactly what everybody's needing week to week. That's why every episode is going to be different. Everything is always different. I record a new intro every time and everything. Every single week is fresh and it's new. And I just love that about the guests as well. So enough of me talking. You guys are going to be getting educated here. One more thing before we get into this. I want to remind everybody that you don't have to practice the same or have the same opinions as the guests that come on this podcast or even as myself. And, you know, we do talk about spirituality, which is a very personal thing. It's one of the most personal things that you can talk about along with politics. And I let everybody and I encourage everybody to share their true and authentic ways that they practice and whatnot. And whether I agree with it or I practice that way, or you agree with it, or you practice that way, we all need to come here respecting the viewpoints and the practices of those that we are listening to. Maybe you're not going to resonate with somebody, but it takes a whole lot to share your soul and to share your gifts. And this is a community. It's a coven of rejects. And I call everybody rejects because the world already sees us as the devil worshipers and the outcasts. And the entire point of this podcast is to clear up misconceptions and judgments. And what we will never do is judge the guests that come on this podcast. I will stick to that so firmly. So with that being said, (laughs) let's get into this episode. So were you brought up in a religious household? (laughs) <laughs> yeah boy that's a funny uh that's funny uh so <laughs> okay so i was uh brought up in a uh somewhat religious household my grandmother was very religious i attended a small um christian church which was a disciples of christ church um which disciples of many apologies we have a very very um stupid person that owns the Mustang with a very loud muffler across the street. Um, So I was brought up in a household where my family was not, my immediate family was not very religious, but my grandmother um, attended a Disciples of Christ Church, which is one of the youngest Christian denominations out there, Um, was started America um, by two different people who had um, moved away from some of the traditional denominations of Christianity and had formed a new denomination each and of themselves. And they kind of came together in West Virginia and realized that their belief system was very, very similar. So they kind of combined. And that is why the the church is called the Disciples of Christ, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. It was two different churches. Um, the nice thing that I liked about that when I was raised was that it did have some very, some very, uh, some very liberal ideas about a lot of different things. There is a a tremendous amount of things about Christianity that have never resonated with me, even when I was when I was younger and I was I was um, following the Christian faith there. There's a lot of there's a lot of judgment. There's there's a lot of 
There's a lot of contradictions. Um, and the problem is, is that it comes mainly from the, um, the religion itself, the, the people of the religion and not the religion itself. Christianity is a beautiful religion, an amazing religion when it is not corrupted by the people who believe Christianity. Um, so I was raised in a Christian environment. Um, I had 23 years. I was a Christian church camp counselor at a um, high school church camp in Ohio. And I, all along since the very beginning, believed in Christianity kind of as the water to the Kool-Aid. I needed like for me, that was the basis, but I always had a different concept of Christianity and a different belief system and a different way that I believed in a lot of stuff. Um, so Christianity was just kind of the basis because it just, it seemed right. Um, and then I, I, there were just, like I said, uh, I lost a lot of faith in a lot of things throughout Christianity, mainly because of the, the dogmatic religion itself. Um, but I have always really kind of believed in something beyond the scope of Christianity. And it wasn't long ago that I found out, I found ominism and ominism really resonates with, with my core belief system. What is ominism? Please educate me. I've never heard of that. <laughs> um, so ominism is actually a fairly new concept. And it basically is the idea that all religions in the world are actually valid and are the same religion. Ominism rests a lot of its belief system on the fact that we see synchronicities between religions all over the world. Um, the use of the number three, uh, every religion has some kind of a flood story. Uh, the fact that, that, that Judaism, Muslim, and Christianity all use the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, and it resonates the same throughout each one of the books. Uh, the idea that, that um, Christians and, and Jews were the same people until John the Baptist called Christ into the Jordan and baptized him. And basically at that point, the people who believed that John the Baptist was the messenger who was going to call out the Messiah and believed that Christ was the Messiah, they became Christians. The other ones remained Jewish. Um, uh, uh, just a real quick story that I love. It's one of my favorite ones to tell is um, the fact that, so I love the Lakota Sioux faith, which is the primary faith that underlies a lot of the Native American beliefs. Um, and the Lakota Sioux believe in something called the white buffalo maiden. Now the white buffalo maiden um, is supposed to be born as, as an albino white buffalo, which is extremely rare. And the buffalo is supposed to turn into a woman and is supposed to approach the elders and sit by the fire in order to explain to the um, elders how to get to the great hunting grounds of the sky. So the white buffalo maiden in so many ways is just absolutely beautiful resonation of Christ and the Messiah with just a different translation of the Messiah. If you think of the Native Americans, how would they know of Christ? And how, why would they follow some of a virgin birth in the Mediterranean Sea area when I was in the, when I'm living in North America in the Native times? 
the, the resonation and, and the and and the connection makes no sense. Um, and that's consistent throughout the board. We, you know, it's not until not until modern travel times, you know, the the middle of of the second millennia that people actually started traveling across oceans and we started to connect uh, North America and South America. And and so how are these people if that's universal, how are these people supposed to know about Christ? who is the way, the truth, and the life, which funny enough, the white buffalo maiden is a representation of the buffalo, the buffalo for the Native Americans. They were a nomadic tribe, most of them. They followed the buffalo herds. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, because they were nomadic and they followed the buffalo herds, the buffalo for them was the way. Also, the buffalo had a strong resonation in a lot of their faith system and gave them a lot of information that was really, really important for them and truthful for their, um, their system. And so for them, the buffalo held a lot of their truth. And then when the buffalo was killed and hunted, the, the Native Americans would use every part of the buffalo. They would use the pelts for fur. They would use the meat. They would use the bones for tools. So they literally used the buffalo as a main substance of their life. So if you look at this, the Native Americans who were living in North America, far away from the Christian faith and the Nicene Constitution, agreed upon the Bible and what books were going to be into the Bible, they had already understood that the white buffalo maiden who was their Messiah was their way, their truth, and their life. Oh, that's such an interesting correlation. Yeah. <laughs> I had never, I, I never knew um, about any of this being connected, um, but I have, I have noticed um, just with myself, there are a lot of things in the basic core values of Christian science mm -hmm. that are in the basic core values of practicing spirituality in general, like the whole point being to like do better and to heal. And that just goes about in different ways. So I could totally see how understanding more everything can correlate between all of the religions. Mm-hmm. And it just, it resonates like, like just streaming ideas between each one of the religions is just unbelievable. And, and that's one of the things that I, which, you know, why I'm so glad to be here because, and, and talking about this topic, because this topic is one of my favorite things to talk about um, because there are so many crossovers and, and it just seems that if there is an intelligent power in the universe it makes sense that they would have all of this planned. Um, oh. and, 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 and they would have all of this in, they would have all of this there. Um, they, it makes sense. Uh, you know, um, in, in the Bible, they talk about the Tower of Babel, um, which was a tower that was built to the heavens, thinking to reach the heavens. And so creator of the universe saw that this tower was being built by man to try to reach the heavens. He didn't want them to resonate with that. He didn't want them to do that. So he destroyed the tower and he literally made the people speak in different languages. Do you think that he wouldn't also give them a different language of how they were to worship him, how they were to praise him, how they were to understand the power of the universe? 
<laughs> you can't walk up to an Irish person or you can't walk up to a, a, a Japanese person in English and expect them to understand 100% in the same way that you can't walk up to a Native American who's never experienced Christianity and start talking about this guy who was born of a virgin and... and lived in the Mediterranean territory, he was a carpenter, and he created miracles. That's not going to make any sense to me if I'm a Native American. So you're saying that all versions of the story were changed so that the people in different areas would understand it the way that they needed to? If I, if I, were, if I were the power of the universe and I wanted to communicate with somebody about truth, I would make sure I spoke in their language and not just in their spoken language, but in their cultural language as well. Hmm. So if I were going, if I were going to tell my people, if I were going to present myths and stories to a people, I would make sure that I did it in a way that was relative to that particular civilization and that particular group native you know and i go back to the native americans but let's just take the mayans okay if i were to present my information to the mayan culture and i was looking at it from a far eastern perspective and i used ideas that were relevant in a far eastern perspective the mayan culture would have no clue what i was talking about no that's so true and it wouldn't resonate with them either so why would i speak to them about that Yeah, no, it makes total sense. So how did you go from being um, in Christianity and then, and then opening up to different spiritual paths? Well, I've actually always kind of had a resonation with um, different spiritual paths, particularly as far as like witchcraft is concerned. Um, Even when I was younger, I considered myself to be a a Christian witch. mainly because witchcraft is not a religion. Witchcraft is a manner of practicing. And so that type of practice can be done in any religion. Uh, And in fact, those who resonate more with witchcraft, you will find that their deities exist from all of the different religions. Um, And that's because they believe in more of an ominous path where all of these deities are part of the same collection of deities, the same powers and the same energies. Um, So I've always kind of believed in witchcraft. It was just a matter of understanding and pulling away from, uh, and it was more along the lines of just a maturing of thought processes so that I just understood things a lot differently within my own mind. And I broke free from a lot of the, the, the American, you know, 1970s and 80s, Christian ideologies, you know, with the revival tents running around healing people and, and, you know, uh, the 700 club on television, um, finally broadcasting and evangelizing to the world through TV. You know, this is just a a huge, you know, um, influence of Christianity and American culture, uh, during the time in which I was growing up. So it was just a matter of releasing myself from the thought processes that I was growing up in and understanding that there, there, that, that it's not, <laughs> for me, it, 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 it's not that Christ is saying, um, you know, when he says, I am the way to get to heaven, you cannot get to heaven except through me. Uh, that would be awesome if Christ wasn't the only Christ. Every religion has a pathway in order to try to find salvation. 
or 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 righteousness within that religion. And so it makes perfect sense that the way to get to that is through some kind of path. And, and in Christianity, Christ was the path to get to Christianity. But that doesn't mean that he's the only one. He's just the only one for the Christians. He resonates with all, you know, that that idea that of, of, of living in balance throughout the rest of the universe. That's that's the path in order to find peace within the universe. So that's that's kind of where that resonated with me was just the, one of the things that I that I disliked most about Christianity is that you have to follow this guy. Well, you know what? There are seven billion people on the planet, and you're telling me that some of the people who don't have access to that information are doomed because they don't have any idea who this guy is and they don't know the teachings of Christ. So they're doomed. I don't think that any creator of the universe would doom somebody right off the bat without giving them a chance. That's a big issue that I have with, um, with Christianity in general, I guess with organized religion in general is this idea that there's one God and that he's going to smite you down if you don't do exactly what he says, how he says it. And that's never resonated with me. And I always, it, it, it made me completely turn away. It was one of the huge things that I didn't like about Christian science and that you can't be a whole and complete person who's going to ascend at the end of your life, because that's what they believe is that you get such this, like, they believe that Jesus ascended. And that he ascended after he had like taught everybody about God's love. And so in Christian science, that's your whole goal is that when you can start healing people and when you understand and love God completely, then you're going to ascend. And so that is everybody's purpose. It's not, yes, you're healing and you're spreading love, but it's for the ending goal of ascending. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, yes and no. <laughs> um, I, I guess, I guess, you know, and, and I guess that taps into some of my ideas about spirituality and how spirituality works in terms of that. Um, but I guess it's not, it's not necessarily ascending into some place of heaven per se. Um, uh, my, my thought, my, my belief system is that we are, our goal, our goal is to ascend, but it's not just ascending as in gaining some higher power. It's becoming the best that our energies can be in order to benefit the universe and all of the, the, the universal life energy. So a concept that, that, that I believe strongly in that is something that I'm writing about in, in my books is that, um, is the idea of universal life energy. And it's not necessarily my own concept. It's just, it's, it's a manner of looking at a, a, a concept. Um, universal life energy is, it's the chi, it's the Reiki, it's, you know, it, it's, it's this, un, it's the force from Star Wars. It's, it's, um, it's the yin and the yang. It's, it's literally the resonation of energy within the universe. It's what makes the stars shine. It's what makes the plants grow. It's what makes the heart beat. It's what makes cells rejuvenate um, and, and, and multiply. And, and like that is what that is. And the goal of that energy is to attain as much experience, 
knowledge and power as humanly possible or not, or, or sorry, spiritually possible. And, and once you've done that, I believe that you do enter into an ascension stage and you do enter into a place in which you now become almost like an expert. So I see this as, so I, I look at it as a number of different levels. So the, the main level, which is the lowest level, is kind of our primordial ooze level, our animal instincts where energies are, are very, very loosely intelligent. So this is um, totally and completely energy in the universe. So plants may be down in this area and, and energy that exists inside of the walls may be down there. Uh, uh, negative energies expelled from people into environments that create residual hauntings. That's all on this lower level. A collection of energies enters into a human form. That human form now experiences life in an entirely different way because only humans can experience human life. And so that is where a lot of knowledge is gained of the universal life energy is through the human experience. And, and during the course of a human life, they gain a tremendous amount of information. And when that life is over, they're either going to share that information and become recycled through another human life, or they, if they've gained enough knowledge to be able to be a, let's just say, quote unquote, expert in that particular whatever, then they'll ascend into the upper level. So if the saints of the Catholic religion, they have ascended into this upper level and their energy is no longer recycled back through the human existence, because that energy has gained enough power, enough intelligence, enough knowledge to be able to be a full and total collection of energy in the consciousness of the universe. So angels, boom, they go up into this upper level. Uh, entities, deities, you know, there's a reason that the Greek and Roman deities and, and the Norse deities all are associated with different energies. So we have the, you know, the Greek uh, god of theater and the Greek god of the sun and the Greek god of love. Well, they know enough and they've experienced enough in a human life that their Yuli energy now exists on the fourth plane. So the first plane is that primordial. The second plane is that human. The third plane is that that just before ascension, after we've passed away and we still have intelligent um, energies there. And then you either move from that third plane into the fourth plane or you move back down into the primordial ooze and go through another human life. Now, the creator of the universe, the highest power, um, I tend to resonate most closely with the Wiccan faith of there being a god and goddess. Um, and I love the idea of the um, male and female energies of the deity. That deity sits on the fourth level, which is way above all those. But if I call to Athena or I call to Aphrodite to come bless me with something, me as a human is asking the, the, the energy that exists in that fourth level to bless me with something. And that's where that, that, that those deities and those angels and those demons even uh, um, and all of those non-corporeal energies that remain intact, that's kind of where they exist. That's how an energy becomes non-corporeal and totally intact. So for me, our whole goal is not as, but, but that's also another contradiction between the Christian faith. And I agree with that 100% because I think that there's too many 
snafus in the philosophy that you are continually the same energy getting recycled and just trying to ascend. That doesn't make sense to me because there's too many snafus such as deja vu and soulmates and all of that. You know, there's there's far too many energies in that process for you to be able to completely and totally associate that with one soul that gets recycled over and over and over and over and over and over again. Plus, you know, when we, when we live our lives, uh, we're exuding Yuli at all points during our entire life. We are constantly radiating energy into the universe. Um, 100%. It goes everywhere, which is how you get residual hauntings, because residual hauntings usually are in areas or, or physical places where there is a tremendous amount of negative energy associated with that or positive energy associated with that. You see that surge of energy absorbs itself into an environment, which is how a place becomes, quote unquote, haunted without an actual entity there. That is why sanitariums tend to be very haunted boarding schools, places where there were great tragedies. Imagine the amount of negative energy that's exuded from the human body during a moment of great tragedy. Yeah. That is enough to stain an environment. Yeah, and my dad's always said that. He, he hasn't yeah. ever believed in ghosts, but he's always been like, no, it's the energy that's there. Right. And don't get me wrong. There is the possibility that an energy can leave a human body, especially if it's expelled so quickly in a tragic situation that it will continue to be a intelligent entity. But it's so rare that that actually happens. It really is. You know, a lot of people on TikTok are like, am I possessed? Am I possessed? Am I? And I'm like, you got guys, it is so rare that that happens. 95% of the time, it's just a manifestation of negative energies. You, you know? were talking about that on a live. So the day that I reached out to you about being on the podcast, one, you talked about that. And two, you talked about um, uh, hexing somebody or having, or having somebody that put a curse on you. And you're like, do you know how much energy and time that takes? Mm-hmm. Well, and how much time it takes for a demon, a demon. So like de demonic possessions, I, I know that a lot of a lot of people who are just getting spiritual and starting to tap into some of the near the, the supernatural, they tend to resonate with these more extreme cases of like demonic possession and, and, and all of this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, let's let's just think for a second, you know. If we look back at, and let's just assume that we're living in a Christian world and we look at Christ's life and we look at how many miracles Christ created in his 33 years on earth. Okay. He created, and, and it's only a handful of actual miracles that he did himself. And that's a whole nother thing that I can, God, I would love to go through the Bible at some point. And in fact, I'm writing a book about that that is called A Witch Reads the Bible. And I'm just going to go through and just like talk about the Bible and all of the uh, things that people never talk about and all of the stuff that's hidden underneath that. Um, and the fact that, you know, for example, Christ actually did not create a number of uh, very many miracles at all. A lot of people associate a lot of his healings with miracles. But if you look back at the actual recordings of those within the Bible, you'll notice that Christ almost always says, your faith has healed you. He didn't do anything. It's the person's belief 
that they can be healed by a higher power it is what healed them. Christ wasn't interfering or interceding or creating a miracle in that moment. The person's belief is what created the miracle. You're goddamn right. That's true. <laughs> I mean, yes, he turned the water into wine. Okay. You know, <laughs> we this got, is what we I've got... been saying. Uh, <laughs> yes. There are so many examples of witchcraft in the fucking Bible that it, like it, it amazes me that people, because there are very close-minded Christians who mm -hmm. believe that magic, like if you're using witchcraft in any way, you work with the devil, which by the way, I want you to get into, cause I can't wait for that rant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's coming, but, um, there's so much witchcraft used in the fucking Bible. How do you think that Jesus turned what was it how many fish was it in the beginning that he turned into being able to feed the whole masses right. and he turned the loaf mm -hmm. to feed everybody i'm uh -huh. sorry but without witchcraft that shit's not happening unless right. everybody just fucking starved and died or right. was hallucinating so well, can you tell me about the can you tell me about the devil <laughs> i would love to tell you about the devil but um but yeah i mean even even if you look at modern witchcraft most witches who are truly in it and truly believe in witchcraft believe that their power comes from faith. How much you put into your spell work is how much it is coming out of your spell work. It's the exact same as Christianity. Yep. The exact same. The more you believe, the more power comes out of it. The more you put into it, that's the whole point of a faith or a religion. And oh I'd gosh, like to point the out devil. that, <laughs> yeah, they also, I, I do want to get to the devil, but they also light candles in the exact same mm -hmm. way that we light candles. And that is in so many different uh, religions, mm -hmm. but it look, gets looked over. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. Hit me with the devil. I want <laughs> it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, um, well, I mean, so the first thing is, is the, oh God, the devil. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there are, okay. So there's several different representations of the devil in the Bible. If you look through that and they're all jumped in together that the Bible never actually associates them as one person. It instead um, associates them with negative connotations that humans have applied to the Bible in order to make them all the same person. They believe that the snake in the Garden of Eden is the devil. The snake is a tempter. The snake tempts Eve. And that is why it's associated with Satan, but it is not Satan. It is a tempter. It is a snake who is a tempter. They say Lucifer is. No, Lucifer was actually a fallen angel, as the Bible describes him. And and he he has he has characteristics that people associate with the devil. Then we have the Antichrist that comes in during Revelations, um, and that is another association with the devil. But these are not one in the same person. These are negative aspects and negative energies throughout the Bible that people who read the Bible associate those all with the same person. In fact. There is no physical description or manifestation of the quote-unquote devil in the Bible. Every one of the representations of the quote-unquote devil in the Bible is, is 
a personification in a different way. So in the Garden of Eden, it was the snake. Why couldn't the devil have just showed up and been all charming and like talked Eve into take, you know, tempted Eve? Well, you know and if mean? the devil was going to show up and try to tempt her with something, why is he going to tempt her to eat an apple? Exactly. Um, Just saying. Eve could which, be hoeing which, it up in those trees. You don't know. Right. Um, so, but the interesting thing is, is, oh my God. So the connection of the devil and witchcraft. <laughs> so the first pictorial representation of Satan from the Bible came in the ninth century BC during the age of Charlemagne. Now, Charlemagne was a king who was um, basically claiming mo most of Northern Europe um, for the Christian church. So they were going through and they were literally going through a lot of the different Norse and Celtic religions and trying to convert them to Christianity. Now, I'm walking into a village. I have this group of people and I'm going to try to convince them that my God is good and that their gods are not good. So during that time, during the age of Charlemagne, the ninth century BC, we see the first pictorial representation of Satan. The first pictorial representation of Satan, by the way, is a man who is partial hooven animal, which by the way, um, if you look back to the Pentateuch, we talk about the fact that the hooves of the animal are actually considered to be by that faith to be dirty and unclean, which makes sense why we would disrupt this and make this into a bad thing. If we're going to come up with a picture of Satan, he probably should be cloven. Um, and then we turn him into a half man, half animal, and we give him antlers. Where did first. the antlers come from? Well, they were the horns, but the the first pictorial representation of Satan that is labeled as Satan looks surprisingly like the green man of Celtic and Norse mythology, which is the male entity of the duality of their deities. Hmm. Now, he also looks a little bit like Pan which is the Greek, which, which makes sense that we would use that because we also were taking over the Greek and Roman ideas. But Satan himself, the way he looks, is exactly the green man, the horned god, which is the male deity of the Norse and pagan because they believe that the deity is separated into two different energies. There is the, the woman and the male, and the male is the green man. And, and the, the witches and the Wiccan wheel of the year, a lot of the pagans believe in the same wheel, is that the green man and the maiden moon will, will come together in, um, in the spring, and they will, um, they will have sex, and they will conceive a child. And um, the... the, the the, the king or the, the green man, the holly king, the green man, the, the horn god will continue and to grow over the summer months. And then he will die off in the fall. And as he dies off, the maiden will continue on throughout the winter months, nurturing for the child, taking care of child to give birth to the child in the spring, who will become the horn god in the next cycle. So it's kind of a twisted incest idea, but it's also mythology and religion in the fact that this energy is reborn and the cycle goes and goes every single year. So, but again, here it is, 
we're Charlemagne is taking over Northern Europe. We need Satan to look like something. How about if we make Satan look like the God of the Norse and pagan, which we're trying to convert over to Christianity? Oh, oh, oh. But nowhere in the Bible does the devil actually have a representation where it's spoken that he has horns, that he is um, red, that he has a pitchfork. (laughs) The ideas of pagan and and Christianity. There's so many things that during the the Reformation and and during the the movement of Christianity, they took things from, uh, from pagan um ideologies uh it was funny because thanksgiving is even taken from (laughs) uh pagan pagan concepts (laughs) oh will you explain on that because we're about to have thanksgiving uh there are oh my gosh there are so many different like we were talking about how when charlemagne was was taking over um a lot of the the north how they were using pagan ideologies and pagan ideas to um a lot of the things that they were developing and and different Christian ideas so that they could marry these things together so that the Reformation was easier for them to be able to convince Christian or or pagans to follow Christianity. Um, And this happens a lot. And um, it it actually, um, so we talk about Easter um, and the fact that Easter um, was supposedly birth of Christ. However, astrologically and logically, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever that, um, or sorry, not, not Easter, Christmas. Um, so we talk about Christmas and astrologically, the North Star would not have been where it was during December. Um, second of all, there would have been no shepherds outside taking care of their, their flocks in the middle of winter um, during December. So it's actually believed that that Christ was actually born either in um, late uh, le- late spring or early fall, um, because that makes more sense with the astrological um, anomalies of the North Star being where it was, and also um, the idea of the shepherds taking care of their flocks in the fields. Um, so, but we move it to this place because it matches up with Yule which is um, the winter solstice for, um, for pagans, which is a huge celebration. And a lot of that matches up. Well, during, um, so on October 31st, which is um, the All Hallows Eve, which is a Christian holiday, uh, which is, can you still hear me, by the way? Yes, I can. Okay. So during All Hallows Eve, Christian holiday um, of Halloween, um, November 1st is All Saints Day. Now, the word hollow actually refers to someone who is heavenly or sacred. So All Hallows Eve is the day before we celebrate the saints. Uh, earlier in the year, closer to the beginning or um, closer to the beginning of October, so late September, early October, there is another Christian holiday um, that is actually um, was a celebration and a feast close to the time of Mayboon, which is the um, which is Thanksgiving. It's it's the second of the three harvest seasons, and it is a time in which the witches give um, give praise for um, all of the blessings that they have and, and a time for them to give thanks. Now this takes place in September on September twenty first which is um, the fall equinox. Now, 
Mebun is our celebration of Thanksgiving, and it actually corresponds very closely with a Christian holiday called Michaelmas. Michaelmas was the celebration of the um, of the angels. So um, much like Christmas is the Mass of Christ, Michaelmas was the Mass of Saint Michael. And, and the rest of the, the angels. So Michaelmas usually took place in late September, early October. So when the Christians came over and, and they were trying to settle America and the, during their, their, their time of celebration, they were most likely celebrating Michaelmas, which is a huge feast to honor the angels. And that's probably where, what they were celebrating during this time of Thanksgiving. Now, it's well noted that the time of Thanksgiving has been changed and wasn't until the early 1900s by presidential um, decree that it was to become the third Sunday or the third Thursday in the month of November. It was actually moved from earlier on October, earlier in November, you know, it, it started earlier in October and moved its way back to November. So we see Thanksgiving historically being presented much closer to the Christian holiday of Michaelmas and, and which is in alignment with Mayboon which is the Celtic holiday or the pagan holiday that's the second harvest or the equinox, uh, or sorry, yeah, the fall equinox. Um, so in a lot of ways, it's actually believed that A, Thanksgiving was probably a celebration of Michaelmas, and Michaelmas is a Christian holiday that was developed around Mayboon, which is a Celtic holiday or a pagan holiday. Then how'd they turn it eventually into what it is now, which is that the Native Americans and the white man were getting along so well that they all sat down to a feast and shared all of their goods. How does that story even get incorporated into what it is now, if that's the originality that it's coming from? I don't Well, because um, normally Michaelmas took place during that time because it was a harvest season. So for the, for the, um, for the witches, it's the it's there are three harvest holidays um, that come and and Mebun, which is um, takes place at the um, which take place during the second harvest, um, and it was a big feasting time when 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 pagans would bring in their crops, they would normally feast um, a great deal and celebrate a good harvest at that time so that makes so that's why michaelmas the celebration of the saints or the celebration of the angels was placed closer to Maybun. so there are actually in in witchcraft there are there there are sabbats and espots the espots are the cycles of the moon there are 13 of them that happen throughout the year one for each one of the months and then the second full moon of a month is known as the blue moon um, but each one of the moons has a representation and each one of those moons goes through its cycle. That's one of the celebrations that witches um, follow. The other is the sabbats. There are eight sabbats and they are the, they are the major and the minor sabbats. So um, of the eight sabbats, four of them are actually um, not determined. They're actually astrological events. 
um, that are the celebrations that that um, witches and Wiccans and pagans all believe in. And those are the two solstices and the two equinoxes. So the two solstices are the extremes of the shortest night and the shortest day. Um, and the equinoxes is when day and night is equal. Now, given that the pagans believe strongly in the duality of their deities, the male and the female form, and that the female rules over the night and the winter, and the male rules over the day and the summer, um, that is why this is these celebrations are big and why they are very relevant to the, the witch's wheel. Um, because we're going through summer, the king, the, the, the male energy is in abundance and, and he is growing stronger. So that is our summer months when the sun is out and all is well. And then in the winter months when the nights are longer and the maiden is now the one alive, it's there. So the four, the four minor, and these are actually the minor events, are the changing of the seasons, which correlate with the um, spring equinox, the summer solstice the fall equinox and the winter solstice. Uh, so those, those events are there. Now, we also have events that we have placed in the center of the season. And these are our major events. So from the beginning of the year and the beginning of the year for the, um, the, uh, the beginning of the year for the witch is Samhain or Sawin which is the um, November 1st. So that's our new year. And then the next holiday that we have is Yule, which is actually the winter solstice. And that is the beginning of winter and, and the movement from winter over into um, the beginning of winter going through till spring. Um, in bulk, which happens on the 1st of February is kind of the midpoint of winter or midwinters. And then Ostera is when the spring equinox is. So that's the 21st of March. Um, and then after Ostera, we have Beltane, which is also known as May Day. Um, and this is um, the midpoint of spring. Litha is the summer beginning, um, which is in June. And then the first harvest actually happens um, on Lugansan, which is the 1st of August. And then Mebun, which I talked about before, was the autumn equinox, which is our Thanksgiving, um, happens on the 21st of September. So those are the eight holidays around the year that that we um, that witches associate with and that witches use as our holidays. And, and that's that's how we resonate. Now, these all fall very similar and very close to a lot of Christian holidays that you know, like I talked about. So we've got Michaelmas, which is right around Maybun. We've got All Saints Day, which is right around um, Samhain. We have uh, Christmas and, and Christ's Mass, which is around Yule. And then we have, you know, Ostera, which is um, around your around e Easter and, and so forth. So I love this education. This is, I, I love being showed all of this and people getting to hear this. So for people that don't like myself, I want to learn a lot more about this. Are there certain books that you would recommend? Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're one of the books that I've actually found um, the most um, helpful for myself. And, and when I, I'm also a teacher and, and a mentor, so I actually teach people about spirituality and witchcraft. Um, 
So, uh, and I'm writing actually my own book because there is a, a lack of books out there. So I'm writing a book that's called A Little Further Down the Path. Um, that's actually going to be a series of short books that talks about witchcraft and, and the craft and how to practice and so forth. But until those come out, um, one of the ones that I really, really liked, and I, I, I definitely appreciate the way it was written, and you can actually get it for free um, online. You can download it for free. It is put out by an apothecary shop, and it is called The Maiden Moon. So if you Google Maiden Moon PDF, it comes up. And I can hardly even pronounce the guy's name. <laughs> okay. Um, but if you, gar if you Google Maiden Moon PDF, there is a free downloadable PDF that you can put, that you can pull up. And it is by the um, metaphysicalspirit.com is the, is the website that puts it out there. And the Maiden Moon is by, oh, never mind. I guess I can't pronounce his name. I thought it was something more difficult. I don't know. I just like the book. Um, Simon Craft. <laughs> I'm keeping the part in there where you didn't know if you'd be able to pronounce it. Right. Please do. Please do. <laughs> um, so yeah, if, now, now, now this book talks about Wicca, but Wicca is just, Wicca is very interesting. Oh God, we could do, we could do a whole episode on Wicca. <laughs> you know what? Wicca, no, I want to talk about Wicca because um, that is like for me when I was first learning about witchcraft in general, the only thing I, and so I was like, oh, I, it's Wiccan. And really that's not true. There's, that's very specific. Wicca is the, is the formal, formalized and recognized religion of witchcraft, which is, as we've already discussed, is so many bastardizations of the idea of witchcraft. But Wicca is one of the youngest um, religions. It was started by a man named Gerald Gardner, who was just an amazingly eclectic individual who really loved nudity and um, traveling the world. Uh, and a lot Same. of his belief system, as far as Wicca, like that's where it all comes from, and influences come from there. So when he was when he was growing up, his parents kind of pawned him off on on the caregivers that he had, and he kind of traveled around the world with them, and like he didn't see his parents very often. Well, he would go to a lot of soy plantations and 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 so forth, and when he was there, he would always wander off and go and meet with like the local indigenous people and learn about their religion because he was so fascinated with these obscure tribal type faiths and religions. And so he would find out all about this stuff. He was really big into Egyptology and he would find out all about all of this stuff. So he finally made his way back to England later in life and he hooked up with, um, a coven in England that he became a part of and he was rather wealthy. So he placed a lot of his investment into this coven. And that is kind of how Wiccan was born. He claims that it is the collection of a lot of the, he, he said it is the formalization of the old ways of witchcraft. However, it's more of just an eclectic variation of a lot of different pagan ideologies and ideas from all over the world. Um, but Wiccan in and of itself, 
it does closely resonate with a lot of different things. The deity structure is very similar. Um, Wiccans do practice witchcraft and they do practice traditional witchcraft in a lot of different ways. So they, they cast circles and they believe in the, the seasons and they believe in nature. And, and so they believe in a lot of that stuff. They believe in the God and the goddess. So there's a lot of similarities between pagan ideologies and witchcraft. Um, and if you say, and when I say pagan, by the way, I guess that's a good point to clarify. Pagan specifically deals with neo-pagan, which is when I say pagan, I'm talking about neo-pagan, which is a belief system. Whereas pagan actually refers to any faith that is not um, mainstream or um, Christian Abrahamic based. So all faiths are pagan, but there's actually a, a conglomeration of different faiths that have come together to be kind of neo-pagan, which is a collection of energies from Wiccan, energies from Norse pagan, energies from the Celtic people. Um, so yeah, but Wiccan is, it, it, it's a lot of witchcraft. In fact, that they, they, a lot of folk magic and a lot of folk ways are incorporated into Wiccan, but they're not the same. Um, a lot of witches subscribe to Wiccan um, for matter of necessity and the fact that it's the only formalized and legal religion in the United States that is witchcraft. Um, it's actually accepted by um, the United States government, the United States military, um, and uh, it is something that you, you know, that is recognized by the government as a formalized religion. Um, paganism and witchcraft are not recognized by the government as formalized religions. So is the Church of Satan recognized by the government? Um, the Church of Satan is recognized by the government, but man, that is a whole nother can of worms. <laughs> For all of you that are listening, the Church of Satan does not worship Satan. It's true. And they they fight for um, a lot of people's rights also, by the way. Absolutely do. The Church of Satan was was literally formed and um, and actually uh, 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 Gerald Gardner was really good friends with um, with. Um, God, I, I'm. I'm totally having a brain fart. Was it Anton LaVey? I have no idea. No, I think Anton LaVey is the modern the modern person for the Church of Satan. Anyways, so the whole idea behind the Church of Satan was we are going to create an organized religion that completely smacks Christianity in the faith. So face, so if we're going to create an organized religion that completely and totally opposes Christianity and a lot of the formalized belief systems of Christianity, what are we going to call it? We're going to call it Satan. Oh, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So literally, There's no better Satanism, fuck you. Satanism does not worship Satan. It's it's almost like, what are we going to call ourselves that says that we're going to do everything we can to potentially give the Christian church a big fuck you? We are the church of Satan. <laughs> Gosh, it's so crazy, the stereotypes and the misinformation that goes around that nobody talks about. I mean, people don't talk about this. That's the whole point of doing this. Yep. Nobody would know these things. It would keep on getting told over and over that they worship Satan and the devil is the devil. And, you know, it's actually funny that it, 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 to more accurately describe the Church of Satan, if you find if you if you study anything about the Church of Satan and the ideas behind the Church of Satan, it would be more along the lines of the Church of Narcissism. <laughs> 
because the church of Satan, one of their main premises is to serve thyself. Yes, it is. And so like, that's the, that's like one of the main points of Satanism is serve thyself. So again, it's not like you're serving Satan, you're serving yourself. You're it's, it's such anti Christianity, which is serving the greater good. It's all about, you know, you're the best person. You're the most important person. Serve yourself. Yeah. Which is why they speak out so much on um, people having their individual rights and governing themselves. Mm -hmm. 100%. Which is why you will find that most of the time, if they're fighting for any of their idols to be placed in any particular area, um, it is usually being placed somewhere um, where it is a popular place where Christianity has long held the prominent um, atmosphere. So that's why they're, they're fighting, they're fighting for that. You know, the big one about, uh, the statue being, being, uh, being put up and, and they were putting up a statue in an area where that had long been kind of controlled, I guess you could say environmentally and, and, and atmospherically by, by Christianity. That's why they were fighting to get that in there. Um, and of course, modern culture doesn't help you know, um, I love Sabrina, the, the television series as a entertainment piece. Oh, yeah. But there's nothing factual on it. The, That's not true. I, they call on Hecate. They and... they do. They call on Hecate. They do call on some different entities and so forth like that. But there is so much tie in with Satanism that it kind of kind of it's funny because we sit there and watch Sabrina. And my wife gets a little crazy about it because we sit there and watch it. And I'm yelling at the screen going, no, we do not. We do not worship Satan. <laughs> we do not worship the dark Lord. <laughs> no, it's great for entertainment. And there are so many people who like us look at that and go, oh, what a cool story. Like it could happen that way. I see. Mm -hmm. Okay. But there are people who watch that knowing absolutely nothing and believe that. Or there's the people who won't watch it and won't let their children watch it because then you're mm -hmm. letting the devil enter your home and just that can't happen. Which. <laughs> oh, that brings me back to one of, one of my favorite concepts in the entire world. And that is the fact that in the Bible, the devil is often associated with the, the liar, the deceiver, the person who gives the wrong information um, which so many people of the Christian faith are prejudiced against certain ideas and have the wrong information. And they say, I can't have that in my life because Satan is entering my life. But by believing that Satan is entering your life through something, you are actually populating misinformation. So you're inviting Satan into your life. Yeah. And you're also living in constant fear, which means that you constantly mm -hmm. have a fear energy, which attracts bad things to happen to you, which mm -hmm. then makes people think that they're being haunted or that they've been hexed or uh, they're yes. reaching out on TikTok asking if they've been hexed. And uh, you know what? It's TikTok for witches. I've been um, watching people's lives. That's how I started. That's kind of how I got the idea about the podcast. But mm -hmm. Uh, people will hop in on there and, oh, I won't be watching this. Jesus loves you. God loves you. <laughs> and I love it when they hop in my lives, to be honest with you. I really do. 
Um, I love it when those people hop in my lives because I'm like, awesome. You know what? I love you too. And Jesus does love me. That's awesome. You act like that's a surprise to me. <laughs> I, I'm i so sarcastic. I just know that as soon as I start doing my lives in TikTok, because I'm going to start doing my Tarot Reads Live, mm -hmm. I just know that I'm going to start singing Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. And... <laughs> Like, because I just don't give a shit. I just think it's so funny that people mm -hmm. take that time out of their day to spread such a misconception. And right. here's why we need to be able to have our voices. But Jesus loves me. This I know. Right. Well, and the amazing and, and I'll be honest with you there there. I have to fight it because, uh, you know, the human nature is, is that ignorance is, is so toxic and you just, you know, it makes your stomach turn. But I've actually like had some great connections with people who have come into my lives or my messages with a very negative aspect. And I very politely and kindly confronted them about their thoughts and their ideologies, had a long conversation, shared knowledgeable information with them and changed their, changed their ideas. You know? Well, a lot of people don't come to the conversation with facts. And, and right. this is one of my big issues is having an unresearched opinion and mm -hmm. forcing it on other people. If you don't have enough research, shut the fuck up. You know, and if you do have research, then there's a different way to go about and be like, this is my opinion on this. But then they go to a conversation right. with you who is obviously scholared in what he's discussing and then again have to just be educated and then right. oh well i don't even know why i had this belief to begin with okay so then why were you talking right why why are why are why i mean are you just spreading hatred is it, it like blind ignorance that you're just spreading hatred or you know um but yeah and 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 there's just a there's a lot of resonation that i that i um i feel about about the whole because it goes the other direction as well I've had so many people, you know, I, I deal with thousands of people a month who, you know, ask me questions about this and, you know, it's how do, how do I, how do I do this? I don't want to do it wrong. I, there's not a manual. Right. My <laughs> the, cards the, don't say that. <laughs> the, the, the beautiful thing about witchcraft is that there's no wrong way to do it. <laughs> say that again please <laughs> there is no wrong way to do witchcraft oh <laughs> uh, i this it, that needs to be spoken because i tell you what my first thing when i was trying to really hone in on witchcraft and get more of an understanding and grow and learn i went on facebook groups because that was what there was at the time and so many groups that i joined and just hateful i mean hateful responses or are 200 different ways to do something and then people arguing in the comments that no if you use this herb then actually you're going to be causing this and if you do that then you're going to do this and it got so overwhelming that i completely just i didn't have anybody to walk alongside with me with it i just did it myself because i I couldn't stand that. We're supposed to be like embracing and healing. That's my opinion. If somebody doesn't know and they want to know, teach them. Who cares that they're just now starting out? Mm -hmm. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm like the people, <laughs> most people that I meet, the, the first thing that they, they will hear out of my mouth is don't ever call yourself a baby witch. Um, because I've seen I've seen brand new witches be 10 times more powerful than seasoned witches, uh, you know, yeah. Because I, I've seen seasoned witches who just get tainted by a lot of different things and, and they, they have no more power. Because as we've talked about already, the power in witchcraft, in Christianity, in Judaism, in Muslim, in every single solitary faith that's out there, the, the supernatural power behind all of it is how much you believe in it. So yeah. as long as you believe that you're doing your craft correctly, then you're doing it correctly. There's a reason it's called witch craft because it is a craft and no craft, no, no craft person or artisan does it the same way. Exactly. Which is why if you scroll, I mean, I bring up social media all the time because that's how we stay connected and where we educate these days. But if you go on and you scroll through different witches pages, you see that they all do it differently. People mm -hmm. read tarot cards differently. People do simmer pots differently. People use different herbs in their spells. They do different things if they're trying to pass on negative energy to people. And it's all, I like to say that people have a million recipes for chocolate chip cookies, but they all fucking taste good. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's, <laughs> that's because, um, you know, I'm honest similar aspect when I'm talking, you, you know, you mentioned all oh, people read tarot cards differently. And one of, I, I teach tarot cards as well um, and how to read them. And one of the first things that I tell people is I'll show them. I've got probably 40 or 50 different tarot decks. And I don't think that the spine on the view book in any of them has ever been broken. Oh, I don't read my view books. You know what I I have so one I think I would I would love to learn um, more about tarot with you. Um, two, I have two different decks. I have one deck that's a dark deck, and it's the first deck that I ever got. It's literally called the Dark Tarot Deck, and I think none I have that one. None of the things I think it's by Royo. None of the things in there in that book match the meaning to me of the cards in any way so it was really hard to connect with the cards mm -hmm. and then I got another deck that is it's um, an assortment of all these different decks and they make one deck and it didn't come with any kind of a book and those have been my favorite because I've just been based on intuition and then I can look up and I can see what the meaning of the card in general is supposed to mean and it's pretty damn on with what the intuition on the cards is anyways mm -hmm. Well, and, and my favorite cards are the ones that contradict what traditional cards show. Um, let me give you an example. I just recently picked up the Universal Celtic Tarot um, as a gift, and it is by uh, Floriana Navito and um, Christina Sagriolati. Um, anyway, so I just picked up this deck not that long ago. And for the first time dealing this deck, I came across the, and this is a perfect example of why I don't use the books. I came across the eight of wands or sorry, the eight of swords. That's my now, favorite card. If you've looked at the eight of swords in so many decks, it is about the, the person being imprisoned by these swords. 
they are blindfolded they are shackled they yeah. are they are just like they can't escape the eight of swords so the eight of swords is traditionally just about your mind just keeping you within a prison and you not being able to escape the power and everything being overwhelming in this particular deck and i just pulled out the card because it's sitting with me and the universal Celtic tarot, the Eight of Swords is this beautiful winged cherubim woman with an owl silhouette behind her. She is holding two of the swords, rising up, glowing from behind with a heavenly light. And the rest of the swords are sitting in the ground. This is so far from being imprisoned. Then... I've ever seen. <laughs> now, like, when I see such a contradiction of imprisonment and, and there's so many, like the, the cards just, I love the way that different decks take the meaning of different cards and change them significantly. Because that to me tells me that that's why a tarot deck has pictures on it so that you can interpret it. You don't walk into a museum and open up the, the the pamphlet that the museum gives you and then look at somebody's painting and read what the painter wrote about that painting and that's how you interpret it. Everyone interprets their painting differently. Well, there's a reason why painting, why, 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 why tarot cards have artwork on it and that's because you're supposed to interpret it differently. I agree. Can I ask you a question? Sure, absolutely. So the other day I was shuffling my cards and I did a video and somebody, and I was shuffling it like a deck of cards and somebody told me, uh, and kind of a snarky, like tarot 101, just so that, you know, um, if you bend the spine of your deck, then your reads aren't accurate anymore. Is that like, is that a thing? Um, I, I bend the spines of my deck all the time and I'm not being egotistical or boasting, but I am probably upper nineties in my accuracy on my reads. Thank you. I was going to say, I've never had an inaccurate read um, with those cards and I bend yeah. the spine all the time. Not to mention <laughs> they're a dark deck and they want to be broken and abused. Right. Like the, the best decks that I have are like the, the, the one that the one that I use most of the time and I'm holding it in my hand right now. I reserve it for compatibility draws now. Um, but it was given to me by my twin flame. Um, which boy, that's another topic altogether. That could, that's like a four hour show right there. People's misconception of soulmates and twins. That's flames. another day. <laughs> but this deck is my compatibility deck. So I always do compatibility readings, which is a spread that I've come up with to be able to look at the compatibility between two people. It's a six card spread. And it looks at the position of the cards as well as the cards. The box is barely holding together anymore. Like I got it from Wish in the first place so it's the cheap version because i would really love the official deck that this one is after because it's the prisms deck um i'm not sure if you're familiar with the prisms decks i am not oh ho, ho, wow uh what's the guy's name i can't remember the guy's name um eads james eads um okay. so the prism i've decks, heard the name yes he has three decks he has the visions light the visions visions prism and the visions prism oracle deck and they're just absolutely gorgeous. And the thing I like most about them is they're actually chronic, they're actually a single piece of artwork. So if you take all the cups and you line them up, line them up in order from ace to king, it is a complete picture. 
Same thing oh. with the pentacles. Same thing with the swords. Same thing with the wands. You set them side by side and it is one panoramic picture. Anyway, so this is my this was one of my favorite decks. It was given to me. I will never get rid of this deck. And it is beat to hell. And your your reads are still accurate on that. Always. And I have to laugh at the person who's like, don't break the spines of your cards or your cards won't be accurate. One of my most accurate reads is a spread that I came up with called the chaos spread. And you, I deal six cards. And then I literally take the cards and fling them up in the air and let them land on the table, upside down, right side up, off the table, on the table. And wherever they land and how they land in relation to each other is part of the read. And let me tell you the accuracy of that is amazing. I blocked the person who made that comment because I don't need that kind of negativity and right? bullshit in my and life. I'm, I'm throwing the damn cards up in the air. We're having a party. I'm like playing 52 card pickup and going, let's see where they go. <laughs> right. I, yeah. Okay. I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you fixed that for me. Cause I was really, uh, yeah, no. I was really, con I, I'm like, am I doing something? Did I, did I really miss this? Again, there's, it's, 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 there's, there's several ways to do things. There's your way, there's my way, and both of them are right. <laughs> that is a fact. Cards are one of, you know, it's one of the most ancient form of card and divination in the world. And it is, uh, it follows a very, very similar pattern um, throughout most of the decks. It's very similar to a regular playing deck in the fact that you have the minor arcana. Uh, that is four suited, ace through king. The the variations that you will find on occasion, uh, there are two cards that are sometimes the the jack the jack of the cards can sometimes be a little confusing. So the jack of a of a regular suit of cards that area can get a little crazy. Um, sometimes it is sons, sometimes it is sons and daughters. Sometimes it is pages or knights. That area is where the, 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 the difference between decks come in. So I've seen, uh, I believe it's the dragon deck has the, the daughter of cups and the son of cups and, and so forth. So yeah, uh, the prince or the princesses. So that area is where some of the variation goes, but normally it's just like a regular card. And then you have the major arcana cards, which... You very rarely see any variation in the major arcana cards with the exception of some decks will add a um, 22nd card to the major arcanas. So the 21 higher cards, which these are the ones that a lot of people associate with, such as death, the hanged man, etc., cetera, um, judgment, the wheel. These are outside of the minor arcana. These are the major arcana cards and... Um, the only, like I said, I have one deck, which is my Santa Muerte deck, which I love dearly. It's an amazing deck. I've abused the heck out of that thing. Um, and that one has an actual Santa Muerte card in the Major Arcana. Um, so the Major Arcana, uh, I personally, uh, and this is just how I read cards, I shuffle out my Major Arcana. I separate them. And I use my Major Arcana to more be a theme of our draw. So when I pull a major arcana, it tells me what we're going to be talking about when we do a tarot reading. And then I only use the minor arcana for the lower part of the draw. Um, so my major arcana only does my first card. And then I put the major arcana off to the side and a separate pile. 
and then I deal with the minor arcana. So that's tarot. Tarot's been around for a billion years. I, I don't even know how long it's been around. In fact, I, I don't even know that they really know the origin of it. The most popular one is the Rider White deck. Um, and this is one of the oldest ones that is out there. Um, so this is one of the most popular ones and the one that most people associate with. Um, and, uh, you know, that's the common deck that you'll see. Um, and the other variation that's, that they will have is some are stylized, particularly more modern ones are becoming more stylized where they're, they're stepping away from the swords, the wands, the chalices or cups and the pentacles, and they're incorporating new things. Uh, my nightmare before Christmas deck has the needles, the candles, the presents, and the, um, and the potions. Uh, my labyrinth deck has the sticks, the junk, the um, uh, the bottles, and something else. Um, so that they they stylize. Oracle decks, on the other hand, are completely and totally stylized to the author. So these are are cards that are very similar to tarot, except for it's kind of you can go anywhere you want in a major arcana. And they basically, it's like, a, it's like a stylized major arcana. I have about, I think about 15 or 10 of my, or my decks are Oracle decks. Um, I have the Yadrasil deck, which is one of my favorite ones. And that one is one of the biggest Oracle decks that I have. My Yadrasil deck is something like 81, it's 81 cards. And that one has all of the Norse gods in it as the Oracles. Um, so it's really, really pretty, and I, and I just love that deck. It's very intuitive. Um, I have the Halloween Oracle deck, which is also incredibly gorgeous. Um, but the Oracle decks are basically just, it's kind of like having a expanded Major Arcana deck, which people do readings because they don't, a lot of people don't do spreads in the same way. Oracles, sometimes they'll pull a card from it uh, or, or a few cards because these are more... These are more thematic and they don't tie in as well together with the idea of the, the, the pentacles, the cups, the wands, the swords, because those kind of tie into a story because you're dealing with those four basic emotions of love, power, knowledge, um, value or worth. So that's why those things, basic concepts are a little bit easier to read in, in, in spreads for tarot cards because they can be woven together. An oracle deck has such different emotions in it that it doesn't tend to weave for very long. You'll get a lot of contradicting senses from the oracle decks. Um, so, so that's the basic difference between oracles and tarot decks is that the oracles are a little bit more detailed. They they're a little bit more refined in, in the emotions that they give as opposed to a tarot deck. Um, because there are more emotions, like you'll see vanity, you'll see love, you'll see fire magic. Uh, my my witches, my everyday witches oracle deck, love that one, by the way. Um, that matches my everyday witches tarot deck. Um, that one has like fire magic, wind magic, you know. The oracle decks are more intuitive, whereas a tarot spread is more factual, right? 
Usually the, the Oracle decks do take a bit more intuitive reading as a part of it. And it, and it will definitely give you a little bit more detail as to what's going on with your emotions. Um, tarot decks tend to lead you into a path or give you answers about stuff. Whereas Oracles yes. kind of deal with emotions, heart feeling, um, oral, Oracle decks do. Um, so yes, in that aspect, they do. However, the Oracle decks are also very, very beautiful and very, very descript in a lot of different ways. Like I've got one that is probably uh, well, the minute I open this one, it's the Vintage Wisdom Oracle deck by Victoria Mosley. The minute I opened this deck, it was just vibrating in my hand because it's just so incredibly powerful. That Oracle deck is so incredibly powerful, um, but it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Um, but the, actually, the way that I read, I I tend I tend to stay away from the the decks that are more um, that require a little bit more intuitiveness with it, um, just because they don't resonate with me. I've got the Mystic Monday deck. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but it is an extremely minimalistic deck. I've heard of this deck. It is beautiful. It's gorgeous, but it is so minimalistic that in order, like, like the only reason I don't read for it, and I love the deck and I probably would use the deck more often, but I do so many readings that when I use the Mystic Monday deck, because it requires so much intuitiveness, like I am exhausted after one reading. Because you have to interpret so much with the deck because it's so minimalistic in the artwork in it. Oh, okay. I can see. I can see where that would be difficult. I like, I, I haven't messed around with Oracle very much um, at all. Um, and I have friends who swear by Oracle because it's so much simpler for them. Mm -hmm. I am, I'm, I love tarot. I love answers to things. Mm -hmm. And I like being able to do a Celtic cross on somebody and be like, this is where our beginning was. This is where our ending is. And this is how we can full circle the ending to the beginning. What your question is, where the root of that question is and how you fix it. I feel See, like I and, get complete answers. And that's so funny because that's such a contradiction of the way that I read. Um, so one of the decks that one, one of the, one of the spreads that I use most commonly and it's loosely titled and I put big air quotes around spread because it's so loosely titled the spread is called the infinite tarot read or the infinite tarot spread. And I use a three card fashion. So I use the standard three card draw piles. The only problem is, is that I don't do past, present and future. I just start calling drawing cards and I'm telling a story with my cards until the cards stop talking. Oh, so for me, that intuitiveness with the infinite tarot, it's just like I pick up on whatever is being thrown down by the guides. And it's literally a means of just communicating my intuitiveness. Like I will do spreads, but I am not a big spread person. I've done Celtic crosses before. I've done love spreads. I've done all kinds of different things. But the most effective ones for me, are the infinite tarot where I'll just pick up a deck and I'll start going through the deck. I've even had, I can remember two off the top of my head. I can remember two people that I have actually gone through the entire deck with. Oh, that's amazing. I bet you yeah. they're just like, what the fuck? Yep. And, and they're, and they're dead spot on. Like the whole entire thing is dead spot on going through the deck. I need to talk with you outside of um, this about uh, tarot because I 
I have a hard time um, remembering what every single one of my cards is. Like I'm oh. amazing at, at uh, putting all the cards together, making it all make sense and being able to give a very um, accurate read to people. But I still have moments of like, hang on, I got to look up what this card is. So I do all of my reads right now, sending them um, video and email because mm-hmm. I am not comfortable enough to have the pressure of somebody looking at me and be like, and this is what this card means. <laughs> right. Well, and that's why I just, I, uh, that's why I am so, and, and you know, it, call it what it is. I've had people be like, oh, that's not real tarot or whatever. I'm like, okay, whatever. I got, I got, I got a 90 plus percent rating on, you know, I'm 90, I'm 90 plus percent accurate, you know, so you can call it whatever you want. Um, but I like, I, I just read them. That's the biggest thing with me is I read the cards as they come across. If, if the picture tells, and the, beauty of that oh my god the beauty of that is the fact that when when the three of one you know let's just take the let's just take the three of cups so when the three of comes up cups comes up 99 percent of the times it, the three of cups is resonating with generational feminine energies like it's a yanni energy card it talks about the feminine energies it's always about the feminine energies but it can come up in a hundred different ways and mean a hundred different things depending on who i'm reading and what happens the same card, like when I do my lives and I do my one card draws, mm-hmm. I've had the same card come up in a one card draw and mean something different each time. I love that. Cause I because think that it's, that, it's yeah. about the moment. It's about how the card is speaking to me. It's about what the card is saying. And, and I think that stems a lot from where my strengths are from my um, psychic abilities. My, my strengths have always been, um, reading the, the Yuli. Um, and that's how I do, that's how I can do medium work because literally spirits and, and, and people who have passed is nothing more than an energy that has left the body. Uh, that's how I do aura readings. Um, because this is literally just, I'm seeing the Yuli exude from somebody and, and it's being filtered through their emotions. So I can see those as colors and those colors means emotions to me. I, I don't do, I don't do aura readings the same way other people do. Cause some people are like, well, it's red and red means this. Like I don't have a guidebook to that. Mine usually means we'll give you an example of that when I'm doing aura readings, if pink comes up for most people, pink is very soft and sensual. So pink usually means lust. It usually means tenderness. It usually means intimacy. Pink for me means anxiety because it always comes up as the color of Pepto-Bismol and it makes me think of an upset stomach. (laughs) Um, Orange always comes up for me as somebody who is just laid back, calm and chilling because it always makes me think of a fall day. And just like sitting on the porch with some pumpkins, drinking some apple cider and chilling. So when I read auras, it's filtered through my aura as well. So the colors speak to me directly. That's how I can read the auras because I'm just reading the the Yuli energies. That's how I speak to spirits because I'm reading the Yuli energies. That's how I do pendulum. And, and, and that's how I can see people and how I can read their energies is just because I'm reading and, and, and allowing my intuitiveness to read and pick up on the energies that they have. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm very intuitive in most of the ways that, that I work. So 
you know, uh, I, I can read with a playing card deck, but I prefer to have the full art decks. Yeah, I think that um, now that you say that and I'm looking at my cards, I think all of mine are full art decks. Um, I Like I said, I have the name of it was a dark tarot deck by a... Um, by an artist that my uh, my adopted daughter in Idaho um, loves it up, and it wasn't a full art deck. And I'm like, what a tragedy, you know? The labyrinth deck that I just picked up, and I love the labyrinth movie. I have the labyrinth deck; it was a gift. I the labyrinth deck is not a full art deck. Like I was so disappointed in the fact that it's a beautiful deck. The artwork is gorgeous. It's very well thought out with the characters from the movie, and I just love it. But and they even changed the suits on it. But why wouldn't you do a full art? You're going to do all that? Do the full art. <laughs> no, I agree with that statement. You know. I told you guys about technology issues. Well, in the end, you guys didn't get to hear Father Woda's handles of where you can go find him. So, Father Woda is Witch of the Auras on TikTok and Instagram. You can go to his website, fatherwoda.com, see what his services are and speak with him directly. I, as always, have all of the information in the description listed with this episode so you can see the spelling of everything. I highly recommend that you go and follow him. As you guys can see just from listening for the past hour, he just has a really amazing personable energy and he's very unique. So please go and give him a follow. Go and see what his content is about. Go and support his services. Again, you can find all of the details of the spelling in the description. Have a great day.